Introducing Mortgage Matters. He has no idea how bad it is out there. He has no idea. A show dedicated to helping you navigate a challenging and ever-changing financial and real estate landscape. The economy continues to face numerous difficulties. Now, your hosts, Dan Podesto and Jason Grody of Central Coast Lending. The fact that you're being called upon to help clean up Wall Street's mess is an outrage. Broadcasting outrage. live from the KVEC studios in San Luis Obispo. What economy are you talking about? Talking it's about, time for Mortgage Matters. All right. Good morning, everybody. Welcome to Mortgage Matters. We got we gave Dan a day off today, so we've got Will Barnaby here in the studio with us, one of Central Coast Lending's mortgage experts. Welcome, Will. Thank you, sir. Thank you very much. Thanks for coming in today, filling in that void. These guys assure me that I could talk for two hours, but I don't even want to test that theory. I'm fairly confident that you can. Thanks, bud. Appreciate there you go. it. I think you could. You totally carry the show by yourself jason but well what happens nice, though it's nice to have will here though i too. mean might might could but what happens if in the middle of talking you just sort of are done with draw blank something to say next yeah what's the next word coming out of my mouth yeah then what i don't think that's gonna be a problem with then you. you just do then yeah. you just do a break at a weird time and in the many years that i've known him i've never known this to be an issue <laughs> to run out of something to say in fact sometimes i sit here and wonder if i'm going to get a talk at all uh, well, well you know <laughs> <laughs> i'll do my best to let you talk today <laughs> I'm just yeah, playing. as, as yeah. much as you'd this like. Is like you know football dan's kind of the color guy and jason is the main main announcer oh there you go there I'll, it is I'll, I'll play dan for the day how's that <laughs> Uh, people have told me before that, um, Dan is the, the fact knowledge structure guy. And I'm just the color commentary with little content. And I, I felt offended by that. No, it's not that way. <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, no, I know uh, I talk a lot, but I, I'm trying to be on topic with like relevant uh, th things to contribute here. You definitely have relevant things to contribute to this, to the show. Well, good. Um, and what I like about you, Jason, is somebody calls in and asks a question and you have an answer right then. You can answer that question. Usually. Yeah, yeah pretty much. I mean, well, let's test that theory today. It'd be great to have some phone calls today. Yeah. Um, we have a guest joining us for the second hour of the show, right, Will? We sure do. We've got Mark McConnell from Heart to Heart Real Estate. They have a very unique uh, business structure. Oh, should cool. should be pretty interesting. Awesome. I always like to hear what else is going on out there in the world of real estate, the, the different approaches and whatnot. Um, so there's, there's been a lot, a lot going on in the economy, I guess it would seem. Um, Interest rates kind of feel like they're maybe climbing up off of that little bottom that they had uh, maybe a month ago now. Yeah, they seem to be trying. Um, it's definitely spazzing into a very small range of movements, but not moving far, but it's, moving fast. Well, yesterday, the 10-year bond yield was pushing into that 2% number. Um, I think it was 1.98 was the close, so it's... It's close to wanting to get back over 2%. Um, and yeah, so interest rates have gone up a little bit with that. Uh, of course, there's there's some good news in the economy. There's some not so good news in the economy. Um, you know, the, one of the big things this week that seemed to have, I, I think, the most significant impact was the, um, 
the European Central Bank, uh, they cut their rates by 5 to 10 basis points and increased and expanded their quantitative easing, sort of trying to do some of that stuff that the U.S. did a few years ago. Um, and when I when I read that, by the way, I mean, so we had we had our first rate cr- increase in a long time uh, into last pretty, year. Yeah, first one in nine years or something like that. Uh, we were all supposed to believe that we were going to have three or four rate hikes this year. Um, from what I can tell today, we're expecting now that might have been a one and done, possibly a second one coming at some point, um, but. Kind of reminded me, though, about quantitative easing on our side. You remember we had, well, we had QE1, QE2, and then Operation Twist at the end there. That was the last one. Um, but there's actually still some QE that is happening here uh, in the U.S. Um, and I don't think many people realize this, but the government is repurchasing mortgage-backed securities with any of the payoffs that they're getting from their mortgage-backed securities portfolio. Mm-hmm. So currently, the the Treasury holds, a, you know, it's like a trillion dollars in mortgage-backed securities. And those securities, when somebody sells a home or refinances a home, there's some payoff that comes into them. And then that money they've pledged so they're not setting aside new money to buy or grow the portfolio but each time they take in incoming dollars for the payoff or um you know runoff of one of the loans in the security they rebuy um and the pace of that um for the last month was 23 billion so we're and that by the way that's been the average for the last couple billion. of years about 20 20 to 25 billion a month is what we're reinvesting back into the securities market which arguably is helping hold interest rates artificially low and you kind of got to say if we had QE1 QE2 and then QE3 with operation twist the twisty part of this new, you know, QE4 that we got to consider is that that money going back in, keeping an automatic demand of new mortgage-backed securities and helping set those good low rates with the guaranteed buyer is holding our rates down too. So I wonder how long that goes on for. You know, it's it's really kind of hard to say. I'm a little surprised that that number is that large. I mean, a lot of those loans that were redone at that time were done at very low interest rates. <laughs> I thought the same thing, right? You know? Because runoff in a portfolio is usually because the rates, like the market rates lower than what's in the portfolio. And so people come and refi into something with a lower rate. So you'd think when you build a security of something a couple years old, mm-hmm. that it's all three and a quarter or three and a half, 30 year fix, which you can't really get today. Yeah. Um, so you'd think that would be really intact for a good while, um, but- You'd think it was only sales. Yeah. Sales of properties. Yeah. I mean, for years and years and years, I've been telling people it might be really, really dull business. You know, you, you wouldn't wake up any day super excited. But if you were servicing a large portfolio of loans at three and a quarter that weren't likely to turn over ever, you know, that was pretty good pocket or pretty good mailbox money. Sure. And a, a little surprised at how many of those loans are being redone. But, you know, there's a possible explanation. Maybe some of those loans were government loans that are now 
refiable into a conventional situation to get rid of mortgage insurance, I guess. But I'd kind of like to see a breakdown of that one day because it would just be interesting for academic purposes oh, and nothing that, else. That stuff's out there if you could stay awake long enough to read all the way through it. The you funny know, thing... I don't um, know that I can. <laughs> you know, in the end there... Uh, well, we were... It seems like so long ago now, but at the end of QE3... I recall it was about a hundred billion a month that was being purchased, and it was half or maybe a slight majority of mortgage-backed securities, and then the other side being treasuries. Yeah, and when they, as you remember, coming off the hundred billion mark was really the first, the beginnings of the tapering, where they cut it down to eighty billion, and they cut it to sixty billion, and they just faded their way out. I remember. So they faded their way out now. Um, I think it's been about two years since the tapering concluded. And what we find is that they're reinvesting to the tune of 23-ish billion bucks a month. Um, it almost feels like tapering uh, never really ended. Like I say, it's that, and, and this is a, this is an interesting thing. I, I don't know that everybody loves it, so we don't have to talk about it for too much longer, but the Fed doesn't set mortgage rates. They no. can influence mortgage rates by setting an, a general interest rate, that overnight rate, um, and influence rates probably maybe even a, a little bit more by um, by buying them, by being a buyer of that security. Because really what happens is you take a pool of loans to market, a handful of bidders will bid. If they're a life insurance company or a big bank, the Federal Reserve, whoever it is that has an interest in that portfolio to have as a long-term security instrument, producing 3 to 4%, I guess. Yeah. Um, the the rate that you agree to buy that at the the they they bid against one another and they that sets the rate for the security well the people that are getting the next security ready they're watching closely what that trade happens at so that they can be pricing you know if it had really big attention and a lot of people wanted it and they they fought over each other to get it and it sold at a premium that would mean, you know, with such a high demand, you might even be able to lower rates a little bit more, bring in more business from the streets and have a good market to sell to. If the people that are lining up to buy the securities aren't that interested and there's not a lot of competition for it and they're not beating down the doors to get it, you might have to start raising the rate of the, the loans that you're securitizing to make it a little bit more attractive to get some more buyers in the door. So when the Fed's cutting $23 billion a month check to be rebuying, that mm -hmm. guaranteed buyer helps keep rates low. That's a form of quantitative easing. Um, so I just wanted to kind of to kick it off that way and say um, for years we've expected that rates are going up. Um, we had a nice little dip about a month ago. Um, I think in response to... Uh, in a pretty big way, a response to the Fed's raising rates for the first time in a while. It was so much anticipation built into it that when they finally raised rates and the sky didn't fall, I think some of that fear and concern backed out, and that's what lowered the rates a little bit. We had like a, a cushion built around the rate. Yeah, I think that that definitely plays a part of it. The other part, though, I would say is this. I mean, their option 
in that security market would be what treasuries yeah and their yields less yeah um and the other thing that's a little bit interesting and you hear people speak about it all the time but buying securities for the fed is nothing new i mean even during times when the economy's great they sell treasuries with a repurchase agreement if the car economy starts to overheat they'll buy those back all of the time the only thing that was relatively new <clears throat> excuse me was uh the volume that they did it at and then the fact that they spread over into mortgage-backed securities now granted i would say that those... when you step the game up by the way for years on in at a hundred billion a month oh, i'm not saying that's it's a, not that's remarkable. a better clip <laughs> I'm, not, I'm not saying that it's not a remarkable increase right. I, I mean it, it definitely is something that's remarkable um but really the the change was into those mortgage-backed securities and those particular group of securities were pretty well underwritten. Those were some pretty strong securities at that time. Sure. So, you know, I look at it and say, I think they're going to make money on it for a long term. Obviously, it's only at a three, three and a half percent rate. So it's not huge money, but it was definitely outpacing the, the Treasury notes at that particular moment in time and this now let, let's time. talk a little bit more about the the quality of those loans, by the way, okay. because I, I actually started to chop up a list uh, in my notes here today. I have a few things written out. And after one of them, I wrote LOL. Um, OK, yeah, just kind of it, it, it. I guess as I was assembling my notes, I was, I was feeling a little bit punchy there. Um, so. Let's let's go. Let's just kind of set the stage back, and I, I want to tell you about loans that I saw happening um, the first two thousand two, three, four, five, six, seven. Okay. This this window. Um, obviously, everybody's familiar with the term Alt A. Um, we had liar loans or exotic loans, the kind of scumbag loans, is what was going on in most of the banks. Um, and, and what do I mean by that? Loans where on the documentation side of the loan, the buyers really weren't qualified. They weren't proving they were qualified. They were stating their income or sometimes not even declaring what their income might be just getting a loan because of their good credit score. Um, the assets, again, could be stated, might even just be completely omitted from the application. And by the way, it was common in the end to see a combination of those two things. No income. No, income, no, no yeah. assets. I mean, we called it Manina, right? Yeah, that was exactly. the loan. But I was talking about the ones after that. Yeah. Yeah, in the previous So I comment. think, yeah, and that's kind of where I'm going is we went from this era of the appraisers were being colluded with to inflate values. The loans were creating artificial affordability because they were interest-only adjustable or negative amortization loans where the borrower didn't even have a, a handle on what the true borrowing cost of that property was. And then to boot, the borrower had no income, no assets. Like a, So the whole transaction was just real junk. Is it any surprise that those securities proved to be darn near worthless when the shoe dropped in 2008? Not really. No, not at all. But we cleaned up from there, right? Yeah. We got some of the Appraiser Independence Act went through where you could get um, appraisers would have some anonymity and wouldn't be pressured. The loan officers no longer hand picking them and, and trying to get appraisal reports made to order. 
um, on. So that that sort of cleans up the collateral side, which arguably is pretty important. And then on the borrower side, borrowers were old school. Uh, you're you're expected to lay your cards on the table and see if your ratios are within tolerance by fully verifying your income, fully documenting your assets. We're looking for the continuity of the line of work. Uh, we're we're looking for a credit profile that makes sense. You know, do you have you had any of these issues? And there's been these ways in place. Um, a few of the other guidelines, and we're getting to the part now where I wrote Lowell. <laughs> we made great strides in improving the quality of the actual loans that are going into these securities. Yes. And now for the last six months here, one by one, we keep trying to uh, sort of dilute that a little bit. And and I'll tell you what I mean by it. I see that look on your face. Like uh, uh, you, you have an idea of where I'm going here. Um, we talked last week about... Fannie Mae removing their continuity of obligation guideline. Um, continuity of obligation is probably a really boring topic for most people, but the agencies implemented this rule that said, you, if you're going to get a loan on a property, you need to have some history with it. We're not going to, I can't just give Will a property of mine today and him go get a new loan on it tomorrow. Um, unless it's like a bona fide purchase, you can't do a cash out refi or refi someone on the title or something like that while another party leaves. So they got rid of that guideline. Um, there was another guideline by the way, that was, um, if you were going to buy a new house and we saw this a lot, so maybe a couple bought a house in 2005 for 600 grand. And then there they are in 2008, this house is worth 300 grand. And they know it's a just, it's a terrible investment. It may never come back in value. So they do um, like a, a buy and dash, <laughs> right? Where you yeah. pick up a new house and you say, oh, we're gonna rent out this other one. Hey, give us some rental income to offset the payment as we're buying this new house across town. And you go buy the new house, the $300,000 house for 300 grand mm -hmm. and then it's a strategic default on the one you just left, you know, tricked you. We're not going to rent it. We're letting it go to foreclosure because we owe 600 grand on the $300,000 house. And so we saw that trend starting to happen. And Fannie Mae and Freddie Mac made a guideline that said, well, timeout. If you're leaving that other house, you need to document 30% equity in order to count rents to offset the payment. Yes. So the only way we're going to let you buy this new house is if you can prove that you've got some equity and you're financially sound enough to carry both. Mm -hmm. um, that was a pretty good guideline. It, it it cut off a lot of those strategic foreclosures at the pass. And and I think, I mean, I'm, I'm all for that. I, I like the idea of um, you made your bed, now lie in it kind of thing. Um, but we just so we just got rid of that guideline. Yes. You no longer need that equity. So we're like, we're peeling off a lot of the protective things that we put in place to, to correct and improve, to correct credit and collateral issues. And in, in the bigger picture to improve the quality of the securities for housing in the U S. Okay. So just as a, a point of debate. Okay. Okay. So the continuity of obligation, um, obviously, stopped people from, you know, 
flipping out of one house, buying the house, the, the model match across the street and dumping the other one. That situation doesn't really exist anymore. And there were other people that were caught in that net. It doesn't. But what I'm saying is if we find ourselves in that spot again. Yes, I understand. We pulled out one of the stops, like the safety net. You pulled off the safety line. Yeah. but it's, And how quick will we be to put it back in, by the way? Because oh, you're going to want it again. If we go through another correction where real estate corrects by 20 or 30 or 40% value, they're gonna you're going to want that rule back in place. Yeah. See, but the problem is, is when they create guidelines, it's boilerplate and it goes across the board. I mean, there's situations where you have a home that's been owned by a family for 20 or 30 years or 40 years and... Heck, sometimes even multiple generations. Right. Um, you've got ones that are held in trusts as common property. You've got probate scenarios where those rules weren't really meant to catch those yeah, people you and throw cause the, them issues. That's the old throw the baby out with the bathwater. I get it. Or the dolphin safe tuna net. You know, they're the dolphin <laughs> in the right. dolphin safe tuna net analogy. And there's a lot of other things that were caught in that. And some of the problems with guidelines is it's such it has to be such a broadly written situation where they can't go in and make specific judgment calls about certain things when they're guidelines that are black and white like that. So I want to trap you real quick. No, because, no, trap me, trap me. Because, because it's, it's fun. Um, but tell me about your knowledge of underwriting guidelines um, in terms of mortgage lates. Uh, cannot have a mortgage late in the last 12 months. Okay. That was the rule. And and you, my friend, are out of date. Oh, I see. This week, Fannie Mae announced that they'll no longer view a mortgage late as a higher risk than any other late. So the that the, one's a little tougher. That, to, that one's a little tougher to, to have a different side to. But again, I, I mean you that's the that right there is the one that I wrote LOL after. You're like, really? We're now we don't care if you've been late on your mortgage. You're gonna say that being late on your mortgage is the same as being late on the Coles card, that it's all factored into the credit score. Um, and by the way, there's a whole nother deal over there in terms of um, credit mm -hmm. on the horizon. Here is um, once again resurfacing that talk that credit the credit scoring models just aren't fair and they're not catching everybody. It's not, it's not very representative. And so credit system is currently being overhauled, um, as will be the underwriting criteria that is demanding certain credit reporting. For example, um, there's some people that it's a barrier to buy a house essentially is what you need to know. And so we keep addressing the barriers. What are the barriers? Why aren't more people um, wanting to buy? Why aren't the millennials buying? Is it an accessibility thing? Is it a down payment thing? By the way, we just reduced the down payment requirement again, down to the, you know, on a Fannie Mae loan down to a minimum of 3% and 5% for a loan up to 561,000 in our county, which a few months prior was a 10% required down payment. So we're reducing the down payment requirements. Mm -hmm. We're reducing the credit requirements. We're reducing the guidelines about, you know, that continuity of obligation, the all these different things. See what I'm Painting a picture here for you. Are, are you seeing the image yet? I am. We're, I am. We're degrading these things. Like we're we're already forgetting about what we had, um, you know. And and so some people will be listening to this and say, "Oh, I knew it. Those scumbag bankers are at it again." And um, others will say, "Well, 
the pendulum swung too far. We got too conservative. We did too many things that were choke holding the market and it just wasn't a healthy thing. And so now that it comes back, you got to come find center somewhere. Um, I don't know. The truth probably lies in the middle somewhere. Um, I've been in the mortgage business long enough to know that you can never underestimate somebody's um, desire to succeed or their um, need to exist in the space. So you're you're going to see these guidelines loosen up. Um, well, and the other part of it, too, is that mortgages are bundled into securities and they're sold off and people want to make it's a for profit business. Sure. Um, and they want to make money. And they're going to continue to make it easier to build bigger and bigger portfolios. I mean, part of it's the fact that uh, the mortgages are no longer just mortgages held by a local bank that wants to get paid back. It's not a community investment anymore. These things are literally traded around the world. And these places, you know, they want to create more and more of them because they're making money. And anytime you get into a situation with that particular setup where values are increasing, they're going to get more and more aggressive. Sure. Now, the pendulum swinging thing, you know, that's at least partially true as well. Um, but the other part of it is definitely economics. I mean, it's definitely uh, profit-driven. Sure. Yeah. Um, all right. Okay. We need to do a commercial break because it's 930. Um, to keep the theme alive, I wanted to talk with you a little bit about seconds. <laughs> oh, great. Seconds are making a comeback. Did yes. you know that? I actually have a couple on my desk at the moment. <laughs> do you find the humor in this? Don't you and don't you think it's a good segue? I do. I do. It'll be it'll be interesting conversation. Get that get that line of credit, you know? Yeah. Don't know what you need it for yet, but you're going to want it and it's becoming more available. The products are are returning to market. It's a it's kind of a sign of the times, I think. So what we'll do is we'll take a quick break here, take some time out to thank the sponsors. When we get back, we have uh, another half hour to go here before we have our guests join us. So stick around for more Mortgage Matters. To ask a question or make a comment, call 543-8830 or 800-549-5832. Mortgage Matters on KVEC News Talk 920. We'll be back after these messages from our sponsors. For those of us who live here on the Central Coast, we know this is a unique place to have a home. And for over 30 years, Patterson Realty has been a vital part of San Luis Obispo County. Patterson professionals have led the way in real estate by adapting to new market conditions to make sales happen. What they offer is the quality of their people, agents working just for you. Get the experts at Patterson Realty on your side. Experience the Patterson difference. Call 544-8662 or online at pattersonrealty.com. Through seven presidential administrations, bull and bear markets, and unprecedented change, Blakesley & Blakesley has been here helping residents of the Central Coast reach their financial goals. So if you need retirement advice beyond Social Security, want to roll over an old 401k, or simply seek guidance through an important financial decision, visit Blakesley & Blakesley in San Luis Obispo, Paso Robles, and Santa Maria. Blakesley & Blakesley, for the service you deserve and the advice you trust. Member FINRA and SIPC. This is Jason Grody with Central Coast Lending. Give yourself the best possible chance to buy your dream home with our 21-day close. We get you fully pre-approved before you find your house so you can write a shorter, easier offer and beat out the competition. It's time for you to be the offer that gets accepted. Call Central Coast Lending today. When you buy or refinance a home, just call 543 Central Coast. 
Coast Lending. Central Coast Lending is an equal housing opportunity real estate broker. California Bureau of Real Estate number 018-39608. NMLS number 328358. The state of denial is a drag and a trial. When I bought my cheap insurance, should have known this day would come. Now I've had an accident and I'm feeling quite alone. Called them at least 20 times, but they won't pick up the phone. Without personal service, my policy's kind of worthless. Get to a better state, State Farm. Switch to State Farm and you can save. To find out more in San Luis Obispo, call Agent Susan Rodriguez. Welcome back. You're listening to Mortgage Matters with host Dan and Jason from Central Coast Lending. If you want to join the conversation, call the show at 543-8830 or 800-549-5832. Now, here's Dan and Jason. Welcome back. And if you're just joining us... Ghost Riders in the Sky? Ghost Riders in the Sky, the outlaws. Dude, gotta uh, love that. Uh, Sorry, didn't mean to interrupt you there. Let's keep it going. What's screw, that? Screw the 30-second thing. The more uh, contemporary version is the... Johnny uh, Cash. Johnny Cash, yeah. but he's the... What's it called? Uh, Ghost Riders uh, in the Sky. No, the not name. the name of the song. The Highwaymen. Oh yeah, yeah, the Highwaymen. Yeah, that's what. That's the one I'm familiar uh, with. I yeah. love Highwaymen. Yeah. Oh, I love the Highwaymen. Is that Johnny Cash, Willie Nelson, Chris Christopherson, and um, who's the fourth? Waylon Jennings. Waylon, there you go. Good times. How's that for a memory? Yeah, we'll have to play that one coming back. All right. Let's get serious again. We're going to run out of time. This happens every time. I know. The show is only two hours long, and you got to really, you got to keep driving to keep, to fit it all in and, and get through it all. And I'm not helping by talking about music. <laughs> um, you know what else happened when we, when we corrected out of the, the willy nilly market we were in? Uh huh. As you recall, every bank in town had like, Construction financing, lot financing, um, one-time close construction financing. You could do mobile home financing. Oh, and um, line of credit. You could get a second. I mean, everybody. It was it was like every bank around um, just completely forgot that there was risk in anything and just. The full array, everything you could offer, they offered and were happy to do so and making money hand over fist. When we went through the recession, those companies, especially those companies that were heavily weighted, because uh, remember, a lot of the balance sheet regulations weren't even there. So you could do whatever kind of loans you want. You could have you know, 90% 
uh, home equity line of credit. That would be just fine. Um, at, at bank, right? So that proves obviously to be a bad idea as we learned. Um, but so anyways, these all these different whoever offerer of loans, compiler of loans, um, securitizer of loans, buyer of security of loans. It was just whoever wants to do it, whatever you want to sell. If someone will buy it for a great profit, step right up. Water's warm. Um, boom. The plane hits the tarmac. The wings snap off. The doors won't open. The whole thing's a mess. Many of these banks went out of business. The ones that didn't go out of business um, barely survived, and they had to go way back to the basics. No, we don't do we don't do dirt loans. We're not doing construction loans. We won't offer a manufactured home loan. No, you can't get a second. I mean, just whew, crazy. Like really conservative. If you, if you need a loan for your house, you're going to come on in and lay your paycheck stubs down and we'll figure out what to qualify you for, for a 30 year fix. And if that doesn't work out for you, you know, come back when it can, <laughs> that was, gotcha. that was sort of where we went. Right. Uh-huh. Uh, talk about the climate today. What kind of products do you see? Are there banks mm-hmm. offering, um, these going back to offering a lot of different products on a lot of different property types? Yeah, there's more and more banks out there that are offering more and more products on different product or different property types. Seconds are coming back, um, not to the same loan to values that they were at one point, True. Um, but you know, to a to a lower loan to value. Um, you still don't see as many HELOCs as you did, but they're popping back as well. So instead of just a second, just a second position loan, it's yeah, we're scratching the surface of that right now. Yeah, we're just give it a year there. or two. Yeah, you know and. I don't know. I kind of go back to what I was trying to trying to say earlier in that all of those things occurred during a time where the products that were available, the ones that you're talking about, the lines of credit, the higher loan-to-value loans, all drove the value of property up. Sure. You know, and the avail and that in turn made it more and more secure until the point where people realized this was just a self-feeding cycle. <laughs> And eventually yeah. they built um, the, the building demand uh, caught up and off we went off of a cliff. Um, it's like it was like um, home loans was that game. Remember when you were a kid, that game Hungry Hungry Hippos? I remember that game. And you like there's do you remember it? Uh, so there's like it's like there's like four hippos at the They still make that. Actually. Do they? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um Probably not as well as they used to, though. Like I, I mean, <laughs> I, <laughs> I had one that was like, like pretty firm. You know, it was like, like you could really slam on it. Yeah. And it was best if you played this game on like a hard surface because, you it, came, it comes with like a bag of marbles. And what you do is everybody gets to the ready. You've got a, a hippo where when you push at his tail area. His neck would stretch, mouth would open, and then come down and capture some of the marbles out in the playing field. And then it would drag them back and dump them into your little reservoir. And you'd push the button again. And frantically, (laughs) the hippos, the four hippos would compete. And the game is over. I'm playing the commercial one. Yeah. I mean, this is perfect. Uh, but the game yeah. is over when all of the marbles are off the field and they're now in a, each each hippo has gathered up all of the marbles. And then you count mm. 
your marbles. And obviously, whoever had acquired the most marbles was the winner of that round of Hungry Hungry It's Hippos. actually kind of fun, you got to admit. It's kind of like time. a rock and sock em robots thing. It's yeah, kind of like along those kinds of That's fun. not as much as my analogy, though. Rock'em, sock'em robots would maybe be like the recession. But <laughs> the Hungry Hungry Hippos game is like you lay down on your stomach with like three friends and you just slam this button feverishly. Yeah. Like you, you don't care if your hippo snaps off and dies. You're, you're just, you're going to make him just go and pick up marbles. That was kind of like the lending business. Um, not real regard to risk. Not a lot of finesse in there, you know, making sure that you're only picking up the white marbles out of the group or the the pink marbles. It was like, push the thing, and I mean, you might even get like a, I don't know, a, an old cheese it in your hippo's <laughs> mouth, and that would be just fine because it probably came with a marble, you know. And so that I feel like was the lending world in that period, um, and then it got obviously so so secure and so conservative and so safe that these securities are a better yield than the current bonds are. Mm -hmm. They're a pretty darn good bet. You got to have some comfort in it. Um, and at least part of what these guys are buying right now, the reason they're so um, comfortable with the current securities, a good, a good understanding of the regulation um, the anti-steering, the uh, all these different things that have made it a better, safer environment to invest. Oh, absolutely. And then slowly we're eroding those guidelines and we're adding in uh, things that are deviating from that a little bit. And and I, you know, I certainly don't mean to make it sound all bad. I hope that the lesson is that we carry with us some of the lessons learned in the last recession. And, and you mentioned a minute ago, the lines of credit are coming back. That HELOC, you use the acronym, that's the home equity line of credit. Um, HELOC is like the, the kind of street term of it. And it has to do with your loan to value or your combined loan to value. Yes. Which we call the LTV. Um, it would be very common years back to get a line of credit that would go to a hundred percent combined loan to value where you could by way of this little handy dandy, uh, debit card slash checkbook. Um, you could spend to your heart's content until you've depleted your home of 100% of its equity. And now why would somebody let you do that? Why would an investor or bank allow you to completely deplete the collateral of equity because uh, it was appreciating. Duh. Yeah, I was going to say, because at the time it was going it was up 20% a thought year. It would go down again. Right. Yeah. Yes. So we're kind of getting back to that. Appreciation is the, the tide that lifts all boats. Appreciation definitely is the tide that lifts all boats. And on top of that, it would create a feeding frenzy amongst consumers because they felt like they'd get priced out of the market. So they had seen, the of appreciation course. at, you know, insane amounts on these houses over time. Um, banks are offering more and more product because they all seem to be secure as the value of the property goes up. And then people 
you know, it's a back to the hungry, hungry hippo so, self-fitting cycle. Yeah, <laughs> just slam the hippo down, man. Pick it up. <laughs> Get it while you can because pretty soon we're going to be out of marbles. And you yeah. don't want to be the guy that has less marbles. Yeah, yeah. I don't want to I don't want to paint this all in a bad light though. Let's talk for a minute about these seconds and some of the I mean, you said you have a couple on your desk. So why? And and are Well, cuz I know you you counsel your all of the people that you work with. You you give the the full the full bang service of making sure they not only understand what they're getting, but they have a game plan and they know why. So, so what is it that you are doing with these borrowers that a line of credit now is, is working into the mix? Well, it's strategic and they're actually seconds, but they're like without going too deep into detail, um, one of the situations, the gentleman has two out of state properties that are currently on the market, um, in escrow. So essentially that second is acting as a Band-Aid um, so that he can pay off a loan, have his permanent loan that he's going to have long-term in place, and not have to refinance. Because I see. He's, we're worried so about So he's going to have an influx of cash. He's going to have an influx and of so cash. And so he ultimately wants to borrow less. Yes. But if he waits... He might be getting a higher rate down the road. So what you're doing right now is you're doing an interim second to where you can get the loan amount of the first where it's anticipated to be finally and using just so this it's a short term strategy. You're going to pay off the second and have this guy with then a first where he doesn't need a second transaction. He has his first at today's low rate. Yeah, it's six spot. It's merely a route to purchase rate security. So the gentleman doesn't have to do a refinance when everything's said and done. Um, We put the second into place, and the second will be paid off within a few months. Okay. Like, he may make a payment. (laughs) He may make a payment on it. Okay. Um, And it's merely because without that, he's subject to the market change and subject to the rate change until he can actually refinance the first. And there's obviously costs associated with doing a refinance. So I, it saves him money in the long term. I can appreciate that. I mean, and that's a strategy I, I would get behind as long as, you know, this guy understands the risk there is if those properties don't sell or whatever. I mean, that that's fine. Um, but that's a pretty smart thing to do. I'll tell you about one that I have on my desk right now. Um, and I, like I said, I'm not just a naysayer of this. I just want to, I want to make sure that when we're using these products, it's, it's quite purposeful, yep. um, that you're doing it as a strategy to make your financial picture stronger in some way or another. But we had a, we had a young couple that bought a house here in San Luis Obispo, um, just over a year ago. And it was a stretch expensive to buy a house and slow. Um, they bought a house with an FHA loan and have mortgage insurance that's over $500 a month. Yeah. And so um, the house has gone up a little bit in value. You know, they probably have like 12 or 15% equity now. And so can't quite refi them into one fixed rate loan without mortgage insurance. That's darn close. By the way, they're both making substantially more money now than when they bought the house. Okay. So they're they're in a better spot financially. So what we're doing is we're refinancing that FHA loan that's like, you know, currently has life of loan MI. Yes. Uh, 500 plus dollars a month 
forever. That's terrible. Um, into a first and second where 80% of the current value is going into the first lien and the balance of what's left is going into the second lien. It allows us to do a rate and term refinance on the first where we're able to um, get them a good 30-year fixed rate loan with a low interest rate and then place this new second, which is, I mean, I don't want to say chump change, but the new second in this case is only for just over 20 grand. So it's not a huge deal, but it gets them out of a $500 a month mortgage mortgage insurance payment. Oh, so absolutely. That mortgage insurance payment is six grand a year. So here's the thought. We put it into the HELOC um, and then they're going to, the six grand in a year they save on the mortgage insurance is going to allow them accelerate the payment on paying the second down. And so then on the strategy here, a few years into this, the, the second will be banged out and paid off. And then you just have that um, long-term fixed rate first with no mortgage insurance. Yeah. And and that's a that's and a respectable strategy. That's a strategy to uh, kind of radically change the cash flow but also the long-term financial standing. Cuz the other the other opportunity is without doing something like this, um, they would keep paying the loan they have, maybe even trying to accelerate the payment, right? Pay your payment, pay your taxes, insurance, mortgage insurance and then send an extra 500 or 1000 bucks a month to pay the loan down a little bit faster. Uh, the bummer is on those FHA loans, the mortgage insurance never stops. So even when you have 20% equity, the mortgage insurance continues on. When you have 50% equity, the mortgage insurance carries on. Um, and and I first of all, I don't know that everybody realizes that. And to only complicate matters a little bit, that's not true with all FHA loans. Some of them stop after five years with equity. Some of them stop after 11 years with equity. Some of them never stop. So it's important to get with us. Let us figure out if you have, if you're listening to this right now and you're going, Hey, well, I have an FHA loan with mortgage insurance. Maybe that would work for me. Um, if you're one of the people that have the five year mortgage insurance minimum, we might take a whole nother strategy completely because there might be a safer or better way to get you out of your mortgage insurance um, than the person that's got life of loan FHA mortgage insurance. No, absolutely. But for the folks that have bought with that loan product in the last few years, particularly with the equity gain that we've had, a lot of those people were in a position where they can get out. And I would say that now is kind of the time for them to start to move. I mean, if you're in a life of the loan, uh, FHA mortgage insurance type of product and you've done it, you know, two, three years ago, this you, may be your opportunity to grab a low conventional rate and get out of that. And that opportunity may start to go away as rates go up. You know, the thing about a refinance is there's nothing emotional about it. It's not like, Oh, I'm in love with this house. It's too late. You already own the house. Right. Right. So the financing on a, on a refinance is, is purely mathematical. You want to figure out how to own the property for the least amount of money for the time period that you're going to. And, and now I would say that on some of the newer FHA loans, the ones that are life of the loan, MI, it's definitely time to talk to somebody and get that situation looked at. Well, mortgage insurance is really only tax deductible. I mean, my understanding of it is that if you make more than $100,000 a year, which you, when you buy in a house in San Luis Obispo, usually it takes that or more. So your mortgage insurance isn't even tax deductible. Um, so it makes good sense to figure out how to get rid of it just as soon as you can. 
Yeah, there's a threshold. There's an income threshold where that deduction goes away. And uh, I'm not exactly sure what that number is. I think it stops completely at 109 was really the last I was told. But anyway, I and now I should insert my disclaimer that I'm not a tax professional, so you can't take my word as advice. But Call your CPA. Um, but if you're making a couple hundred grand a year, your mortgage insurance is not tax deductible. Um, and you should be on some kind of path to be out of it, paying the thing down, getting rid of it. Yeah, yeah for sure. For sure. Um, I am, I, I, I'm constantly on the show, uh, asking, inviting, reminding, begging, urging anybody with mortgage insurance, call us. Uh, if you have mortgage insurance right now, there's a variety of things we need to look at to figure out if we can get rid of mortgage insurance. Sometimes people call uh, that have a conventional loan with mortgage insurance and we can look at it and say, you know what? You don't need a new loan. You need to keep the loan that you have. It's a very good loan, but it's time to challenge your mortgage insurance with your servicer and get it removed from your loan. Um, that could save two, three, four hundred dollars a month, um, and maybe more in some cases. And and what you what you need is just to be kind of shown that path. Uh, it's not very common that the person you're making your mortgage payment to every month would call you up. Oh, hey, Will, it's your mortgage company. Uh, listen, we'd like to get rid of your mortgage insurance today. Um, they just they they don't have a department to be doing that. Um, they kind of like you having mortgage insurance. There are some laws of when it must stop. Yeah. But if you're, you know, if you if you can challenge this thing and get out of it several years early, probably should. Yeah, and and the must stop is when you pay it down by enough. Um, Correct. Amortization. It's, it's not considering the value increase of the property or the um, or anything else. It's merely have you paid enough payments to buy it down, assuming the original value. So. You shouldn't be in mortgage insurance for that period of time. No. Um, so, yeah, sometimes people call and we just lead them into how to get rid of their mortgage insurance. Um, keep the loan you have. Just go get rid of your mortgage insurance. Follow these steps. Um, sometimes they come in and, and, you know, we do a little bit of analysis and determine that, hey, you've got enough equity and you know, if you bought in 2014, your interest rate's four and a quarter. Uh, the prevailing rate this week, uh, you're probably looking at like 3.8 APR-ish. So if you're at four and an eighth or four and a quarter with mortgage insurance, you could redo your loan, get out of your mortgage insurance and get a slightly better interest rate. That's a win-win. Um that's a that's a great opportunity to come in and do something else. I had one of those signed this morning. Yeah, um, and it feels good. I mean, those especially because most people, you know what your mortgage payment is. It's due on the first. Put your head down and work. When yeah. you get to the first, you need to write that check. Just keep those balls in the air. Do it again next month. You know, rinse and repeat. Yeah. That's the for three hundred and sixty months. It gets to autopilot. It definitely does. But uh, yeah, and that's why, like I said, I, I urge you, if you have mortgage insurance, um, that's a there's a way to to reduce or eliminate your mortgage insurance. I'm almost sure of it. Um, you know, because the other thing that most people don't realize, too, is that 
when you're talking about loan to value, mortgage insurance is required if your loan to value is 80, 81% or more, right? 80.01% or more. That, there's a fee for that. A little higher interest rate, a little higher closing costs. Here, have some mortgage insurance too. If your loan to value though is, you know, let's say you've got a 85% loan to value. So you're almost 80, but you, you got more equity than dude that got, that has a 90% loan to value or a 95% loan to value. Each one of those little 5% thresholds is an increased cost in mortgage insurance and usually interest rate and closing costs, right? Absolutely. Especially if you've got moderate to good credit as opposed to like excellent credit. It gets compounded in that range. So what I'm saying is if you've got, maybe when you started, you put 5% down. That was just a year ago, but you've been making some payments and the value of your home has gone up by 5%. If you refinance right now, maybe you can't get out of your mortgage insurance completely, but you could get 10% equity mortgage insurance now. That's cheaper than the 5% equity mortgage insurance because you've got more equity, you're less risk. It's it's a better bet on the bank. Um, so if you can refi and get lower mortgage insurance, that's why I said reduce or eliminate your mortgage insurance. Um, there's reasons why it's still worth calling. Let's explore that. Let's look at the equity. Let's try to figure out what could happen. Um, and then lastly, the only other thing I really want to say about that is that um, we have four different companies that we do mortgage insurance with, and they're not all equal. It's really common for a bank to have one company they do mortgage insurance with, and um, what if that's the one that's 20 or 30% more expensive than the others? You know, you're more, you might be paying $200 a month mortgage insurance where for the same deal with a better vendor, it might've only been 140 bucks a month. So, um, again, there's some analysis that goes into that and, and there's, it's a custom tailored thing. The only way I can properly fit you for this is to hear from you. So if you have mortgage insurance, Let's have a serious conversation here about how to challenge it and get rid of it, how to reduce or eliminate it by way of a refi or something clever with a line of credit, as we were talking a little bit earlier in this segment. Um, you're the the people, I think, that this is your window of opportunity today is figure out how to get rid of your mortgage insurance, get out of that FHA loan, get out of that mortgage insurance, reduce your payment, uh, get, and then because of the market environment and get a lower rate to boot. So if you want to do that, give us a call 543-LOAN, 543-5626. We got to do the top of the hour break. So we're going to be gone for just a few minutes here. Take some time, get some fresh coffee, water the dog, do what you got to do. We'll be back in a few minutes with another hour of Mortgage Matters and we hope you'll join us. You're tuned in to Mortgage Matters, which airs every Saturday from 9 a.m. to 11 a.m. Your hosts, Dan and Jason from Citra Coast Lending, want you to join the conversation by calling 800-549-5832. Now, back to the show. I was a highwayman Along the coach roads I did ride 
sword and pistol by my side. Many a young maid lost All right, everybody, welcome back. Thanks much for being with us. It is March 12th. We had a had a great week this week. Busy week, lots going on. Nice to have some rain. Uh, just uh, looking forward to enjoying this afternoon when we get out of here in another hour. But as long as we're going to be here, we may as well make the most of it. I have Will Barnaby here in the studio with me today. And uh, Will has brought in a guest to help pass the time. Yes, sir. I brought in Mark McConnell of Heart to Heart Real Estate. Good friend of mine, realtor that's actually done some work for me. Um, Mark and his partner, Liz, have a very unique business model. Um, they do give back a lot to the community. Um, we're going to let Mark tell you a little bit about what he does, but uh, the amount of money and the difference that these people have made is huge. You guys got to check these guys out. If you're out in the market, you're shopping, or shopping for some representation, definitely give these people a call. Give them a try. Mark, welcome. Thank you, Will. Good morning, and thank you, Jason. Thanks for having me. Um, yeah, what can I tell you? Tell me a little bit about what you do. I mean, say you go through a normal closing. You either represent a buyer or you represent a seller um, after the close. Um, we'll get through some of the stuff that you do in the middle that's that's great as well. But after the close, what happens? Yeah, so that's normal real estate business, just meaning that we're not uh, different in any ways except maybe, uh, uh, well, it is a little bit different. But when we get to the end of the deal, to your question, what we do is we take our commission and we give 50% uh, of it to, the, to a charitable cause or organization that's chosen by our client, be it buyer or seller. Buyer or seller. So somebody comes to you, they want to list their house. You list their house, you go through the normal process. And just so you're aware, I've had personal experience. They hire professional photographers. They, they do really top-notch work all the way through. But then at the very end, you know, we pick the charity. We pick the charity and 50% of the commission that was made by them went to that charity and has huge effects. Um, they That's have pretty awesome. It is pretty awesome. Yeah, I... I, I was working with a real estate agent that has a similar kind of thing, but it, it's not, not nearly 50% of the income. Um, even still, I mean, I was floored by it to see that amount of money going. And I picked, uh, my kids go to the Fine Arts Academy in Atascadero. And so they're a music school that's always after, you know, instruments, donations. They go on big trips and need to figure out how to fund that stuff all the time. Well, that was just great. So that, you're... You're um, doing a pretty awesome service in that. Oh, well, thank you. Yeah, it, uh, it's a pretty neat thing, and it definitely gets you out. Um, in the end of last year, you had a, a special event where you were out uh, visiting people and charities. What did you call it? Yeah, we called it Give-A-Palooza. So we had uh, kind of a lot of closings right at the end of the year. And one of our clients said, you know, I want you guys to pick what you want to do with it. So what we did was we took some of that money. We took 8000 dollars of the 16,000 that we gave away from that commission and we just uh had people write in and nominate charities and uh, or groups that we hadn't even heard of or hadn't been able to give to before so we just uh, picked uh, eight of them and gave them each a thousand dollars among others yeah among others now keep in mind he's he says this like you know it's just a casual thing he dressed up like santa claus 
<laughs> right? And his partner, Liz Lee, the beautiful Liz Lee, dressed up like a little elf. And uh, they went around and, and definitely made some people very, very happy. And in our town, I mean, I know that you've given to the art program, Art, art at the Park. What's the thing called? The museum? Studios on the Park. Studios on the Park. Tell us a little bit about some of the other charities that you've been a part of. Um, well, so we've given to, uh, honestly, I, I can't keep track of them all. I mean, some of the ones that we've given multiple gifts to have been like the Wellness Kitchen in Templeton. Mm -hmm. um, they make, uh, you know, like healthy food for people that are recovering from chemotherapy treatments and stuff like that, recovering from cancer. Yeah. Uh, we've given quite a bit of money to the Boys and Girls Club, um, uh, PRIAF, which is the Paso Robles Youth Arts Foundation. It's similar to what you're talking about in Atascadero. They they do uh, uh, no charge, um, you know, classes for all of their students. I think last year they served like almost 400 kids, all at no charge, you know. And so um, we were able to give them a pretty sizable uh, donation um, on a couple of different occasions. So, but all they appreciate it all, even if it's just uh, you know a few hundred dollars. Um, I was actually blown away. We gave uh, our first check to the wellness kitchen was for less than $2,000. And she told me that that's the biggest check that they had gotten to date. You know, now this is almost three years ago. So I'm, I hope that someone's exceeded it by, by now. Somebody's stepped in. You know, and it's not just that. I mean, they are also both very experienced realtors. Tell us a little bit. How long have you been in real estate? You, your partner, how's things? Yeah, well, okay, so I got my license in 1998, shortly after I bought my first house. And so I uh, have been doing real estate in San Luis Obispo County since then, full time. So I yeah. get, I, I've been saying uh, 15 years for so long, I think it's closer to 18 now. So. Yeah, yeah, we're both getting older. <laughs> Time keeps going on. Now, and then what about Liz? Liz has been around a while. Give us a little yeah, background yeah. on her. Yeah, Liz, Liz has been doing it for almost as long as I have. She actually uh, started out in commercial real estate, uh, managing properties for her family that they own back in Chicago. So um, she's, she's uh, you know, uh, the perfect partner for me because she picks up where I leave off and she actually has a, an extensive background. She's got a, you know, degree in uh, business law. So, um, she's, she's a good person to have, you know, beside you as a partner. Yeah. She's good with the contracts. Mark can be a bit of a bulldog, which is something that you want in negotiation, <laughs> a little bit of a bulldog. Um, so you guys have been working there in 98. So you've been there for quite some time. You guys have been doing well. Um, if you have real estate that you need to sell or, or, uh, if you are a buyer and you also have something that's near and dear to your heart, I mean, these are great people to, to get into contact with. I mean, they can handle the situation from, from start to finish. And, uh, what areas do you usually work in mostly? Well, you know, we're, we're our office is in Paso Robles. So, mm -hmm. you know, I would say the bulk of our business is in Paso Robles. But uh, Liz had a childhood, I shouldn't say childhood, a college friend that uh, relocated up here and moved and bought a house in Pismo Beach. So we did that piece of business last year. Did a piece so, of business. So, yeah, San Luis Obispo County, I'd say. I, I wouldn't say we would go as far south as maybe Santa Maria, only because, you know, you can't be an expert in everything. So... Primarily, we got to do a good job for our client, and you know, I don't know enough about that market. Don't know. Yeah. Okay. So it's always good to be specialized. Um, right on. Right on. I was, 
I was over here. I'm just over here looking at your website, <laughs> doing doing a little real time stalking. Figure out. Uh, I mean, today's the first time I met you. I mean, I, I understand you and Will have known each other for a while and yeah. and do business with one another. That's great. Um, I'm always. I'm always interested in how people choose to differentiate themselves. I mean, that's a big game, right? You got to, in, in real estate, you got to figure out how you, how are you going to market yourself? What's your niche? What are you going to be good at? And, and there's, there's some clever ones around the County. Uh, I got to say your, yours is, um, it oh. seems like one of the more, uh, you guys really seem like it's a, it's a, 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 gain through giving mentality. Oh, absolutely. A and I mean, I'm at, yeah. just off of the homepage though, I, it's, it's great website, by the way. I mean, I, I wouldn't say that it's stand out really in terms of design, but it's definitely stand out in terms of the message well, across the top. There's a rolling banner of charities. Uh, right. I mean, most of which I recognize as, um, but then there's these pictures of you guys holding those huge checks with, uh, members of the community and kids and you know different foundations and companies it it speaks right away there's not a mention of like a for sale sign or a look at my listings or a uh, any of those things right on this home page it's about what you're what you guys are giving and what drives you and what motivates you i think that's pretty awesome well thank you and i'll tell you what jason the the all this stuff is you know, we're coming from the heart. That's part of the reason for the name, too. I mean, this would, wouldn't work if it were otherwise. So uh, we found that it's not just um, that we're doing more business. The thing is that, that with this business model, we seem to be attracting more of the kind of people that we want to work with as well. Right. Uh, and so that's a huge benefit, you know. Right. And, uh, you know, when the market turned, you guys have been in the mortgage business for quite a while as well. So I I think all of us sitting here. We were all through, there for the yeah. big turn. <laughs> right. Yeah. <laughs> and it was quite uncomfortable. Um, so during that time, I personally uh, went through some extreme hardships. Um, and so but I survived. And I would say I actually, uh, when I say survived, I don't mean just financially. I mean, I, it made me really take stock of what's important in my life. And so, mm -hmm. you know, if your goal is just to make and hold on to as much money as you can, you're going to get very bored with that pretty quick, you know. Mm -hmm. So uh, when we go out and, you know, write these checks, these organizations, and the Pastor Robles Youth Arts Foundation is a perfect example because you go in and you see, 50 or 60 kids in there getting, uh, you know, learning about the arts and stuff that's been pretty much stripped out of schools. And this is all for free. It's keeping them off the streets so they can, you know, have a better quality of life. They're going to turn into good human beings. And to be a part of that is just massive. It's very rewarding. Yeah, that's really cool. Um, I got to ask something here. Huh. All right. So you're moving along in life. Things are going good. This financial crisis comes, you know, pretty much gives you a swift kick in the rear, I guess. Uh, things seem to go bad. You're sitting there. All of a sudden you think, you know what? I got an idea. I'm going to give half my money. Every time I get some, I'm going to give half of this away. <laughs> you know, how do you get to that point? How do you go from, I have a successful career, things are going well, to taking... Honestly, what has to be the biggest pay cut, I mean, it's the second biggest financial crisis in, you know, modern history, at least. Things go horribly wrong, 
And then somehow you get to the point where I understand you you took stock in your life and you, you thought that, you know, there were more important things than just money. But how do you get to the point where your income's already taken a bath, things are going bad in the industry, and you come up with, I'm going to give half of it away at this point? How does that happen? Okay, there's a couple of things. First of all, I mentioned my partner, Liz Lee, is the one with the, uh, with the advanced degree. <laughs> I can divide by half. So you can. that was a big part of it, you know? It's like... Okay, what's half of 5,000? I can do that. I don't even have to take my calculator out. So <laughs> that, <laughs> so, <laughs> yeah, um, okay. Uh, you know, honestly, like I said, I, I've, done, I've been on both sides of this. I grew up uh, without a lot of money, yeah. you know, and, and I still seem to have a lot of fun, you know, and, you know, so, so uh, when I started making more money in real estate, I enjoyed that too. But like I say, after a while, it's just, uh, you know, it's not a, it's not a goal. You know what I'm saying? It's not the end of the, it's not your it, primary objective. Well, well right. And imagine. once you get there, it's like I say, it's like, okay, now what? It doesn't yeah. increase your, uh, but happiness. when you get, I think, you know, for me, when you get down to the end of it though, what did you do? The end of your career, whether you're, you know, retiring or lying on your deathbed or whatever it holds for right. you. What did, What's your career what legacy? What did you do? Yeah. And, you know, because I, I, I thought that before, like, and I got to say it was before I, before I, Dan and I started Central Coast Lending, um, I remember what I was going through when when we went through the recession was I had I had worked for a few different companies. I was I had a pretty good salary. I was in a pretty comfortable spot, you know, a couple houses, nice cars, you know, kind of not wanting for a lot. Um, I I never and, and by the way, I it was for me, like I got out of college, I put my head down. I worked really hard and I any organization I was in, I was. I was hell bent on becoming the top, getting to just be the best. It was a personal quest of mine, not about competing with anybody else but myself. I was driven to get to the to just be the best me that I could be. And I was rewarded financially for that hard work. That was part of my love attraction to this business. Is mm -hmm. that you know, you it's not like a widget factory where you just can't pull the lever any faster. This was very much that I could build some relationships, take care of some people, um, put some real work into figuring out how to make things run smoother, better, more efficiently and, and, and do a better job. Every year, um, I made a little bit more money. I got, I was, I was, under, I was on a good pace and a good track. I never once ever considered for a second that I would ever go backwards in income. Uh, my income correction, and I can only assume you guys are pretty similar. My income correction was like 72% was what it was from uh, uh, year to the next. And pretty and it, dang close. It was painful. Oh yeah. Really painful. Um, and that was where I decided when, when Dan and I decided to start central coast lending, I kind of like you, I, I, I did had enough of that. I, I sort of went through my twenties on that whole, I got the world by the tail thing and I'm going to do this great, be this great, all this. And then I just say, you know what? No, what I want to do is go back to slow, hunker down with my core group of people and have a business that has integrity, honesty, um, value at its core, um, create some, you know, and in retrospect, we've created some jobs, head of household jobs. There's 
you know, 20 families probably that that thrive off of what we're doing here in a culture. Um, and, you know, I, I was sitting over here while you were talking. I was kind of asking myself, too, you know, I was like, I, do we give enough to charity? I mean, we do. <laughs> but it caused me to ask myself that question. And I started right away. I was like, well, I'm not giving 50%. So time to, yeah. take, a, time to take a real look in the mirror. <laughs> and then I, and then I started. Can, can I tell you something, yeah. Jason? I'm sorry to interrupt no, you. Go but ahead. This is, that, that, you brought up a super important point, and I wanted to address it. So my, my, the, our business model, we don't, I'm not preaching to anyone. I'm, this is not to suggest that, hey, you should do this or, oh. you know, maybe no one else should do it. My, my point is this. I just, if you... I'm trying to do something, or Liz and I are trying to do something that really just gets people's attention, you know. And so if you want to get people's attention, you don't light a firecracker. You set off a bomb. So the whole thing is we're just trying to communicate to people, do something, you know. Yeah. I mean, even, like, people that volunteer to be a big brother or something, huge. You know, someone that goes down and, uh, you know, donates, uh, you know, a a couple of uh, soccer balls to the boys club, huge. If every single person did one little thing like that, these it would put my business model out of business. <laughs> like I would have to do something else with the other half of my money because there wouldn't these problems wouldn't exist. Sure. So you can't uh, underdo it. Yeah. Right. And I think the point that I was trying to get to though is the timing of that was just so extreme. I mean, while you hear somebody gives away fifty percent of their income to charities, and that's like, whoa, that's crazy. Also take into consideration what was going on at that time. The income, like you said, your income dropped by seventy two percent. Uh, mine was really, really close to that same drop, you know, yeah. and this is the time when they said, you know what, we're going to do this. We're going to set up a model now. And that was kind of the point I was trying to get to is how how do you, at that moment in time, no well, matter a, when you do that's it, it's a extreme. Good, that's a good vision. And you know what, it's a... It's just, I, I feel like that part makes the most sense to me. Where if you're going to go through a rebirth and you're going to go back and analyze, all right, well, what makes me happy? What am I doing this for? What motivates me? How much money do I really need? What do I want to do? I, I see that. This and is it, the time to do it, huh? Yeah. And because yeah. I, because I got to say, I feel like that's, that's a part of it that I can relate to is I, I had other opportunities. I could have done other things. And the recession for me created an opportunity for me to, again, kind of pull back and say, what's important to me? And and what have I traded? What am I doing? Am I on the path? Um, That's funny. I was talking with some buddies just last night about this. Is um, I'm coming into my late 30s here. And so I've I've now have a little bit more experience to, to glean from as I'm sorting this stuff out. And um, the young me was like full of hope and probably empty of knowledge. Um, as soon as the knowledge started going up, I seemed the the hope started waning. <laughs> and now I'm at this point in my life where, all right, I know I'm not going to be an astronaut. <laughs> I know I, I'm pretty sure this is what I'm going to do when I grow up. Um, and I'm content with it. I like what I do. I like helping people. I love the people that I work with. Um, I do. I've, I've had a lot of experience with the different banks and lending institutions around the county. And I really love the the culture and and character that is our company and the people that work there. Uh, and I feel like we we do a, a real service to people. I'm proud of everybody that works in our company. I'm proud of what we're doing um, and in all the relationships. Uh, I mean, even today, you know, we're kind of 
helping further Mark a little bit and talking about this. And, you know, like you, like you said, you're attracting the kind of people you want to work with. We we're doing the same thing. And, um, and all in all, I mean, I, it's a, it's a pretty good life and I'm, I'm happy to have it. Uh, and I wouldn't want to trade it for that, that path that I was on before. Um, it's, and it's a nice time to kind of reflect on that and, and agree that it hasn't always been easy, um, but lately it sure feels fulfilling. Oh, absolutely. Yep. Absolutely. We need to do a commercial break here, so we'll do that. Um, if you guys have any questions or comments, if you want to call in and, and add to the conversation, the number here to the studio is 543-8830. We're going to have Mark with us for the rest of the episode here, so think of something clever to ask him. Um, and if not, just think about that transaction you need to do where you can get, um, a, a good donation to the charity of your choice. That's pretty cool. That's gotta be a tough one to contend with. Um, if I was sizing up realtors, I gotta say thinking, um, the guy that has that, um, that giver's heart is, a is a pretty great spot to be. So let's go ahead and do a commercial break. When we get back here, we'll have more mortgage matters. Stick Don't with go us. anywhere. Keep it locked to mortgage matters on KVEC news talk, 920. To ask a question, call 543-8830 or 800-549-5832. We'll be back in just a few minutes. For those of us who live here on the Central Coast, we know this is a unique place to have a home. And for over 30 years, Patterson Realty has been a vital part of San Luis Obispo County. Patterson professionals have led the way in real estate by adapting to new market conditions to make sales happen. What they offer is the quality of their people, agents working just for you. Get the experts at Patterson Realty on your side. Experience the Patterson difference. Call 544-8662 or online at pattersonrealty.com. What a state of generosity. Look what my agent got for me. Just by switching to State Farm. A few hundred unexpected bucks. I couldn't ask for more. But now I've got to figure out what I should use it for. A new bike would be radical, but maybe something practical like a pet baboon with one robotic arm. Get to a better state, State Farm. Switch to State Farm and you could save. To find out more in San Luis Obispo, call Agent Susan Rodriguez. This is Jason Grody with Central Coast Lending. Our loans are not trucked in from some big bank. They're raised right here on the Central Coast. No hormones, no GMOs, no antibiotics. Call today and get your gluten-free mortgage from a caring lender that knows you only accept the best for your family. Just call Central Coast Lending. Refinance at home. Just call 543 Central Coast Lending is an equal housing opportunity real estate broker. California Bureau of Real Estate number 018-39608. NMLS number 328-358. Through seven presidential administrations, bull and bear markets, and unprecedented change, Blakesley & Blakesley has been here helping residents of the Central Coast reach their financial goals. So if you need retirement advice beyond Social Security, want to roll over an old 401k, or simply seek guidance through an important financial decision, visit Blakesley & Blakesley in San Luis Obispo, Paso Robles, and Santa Maria. Blakesley & Blakesley, for the service you deserve and the advice you trust. Member FINRA and SIPC. You're listening to Mortgage Matters on KVEC News Talk 920. If you missed any part of the show, log on to centralcoastlending.com for archived shows and more. Now, back to your hosts, Dan and Jason from Central Coast Lending.
do I get out of there? All right, welcome back, everyone. Sorry about that. I was distracted over here. We well, got the new rock calendar. Yeah, yeah. I'm not paying good enough attention. <laughs> All right. Uh, for those of you that are uh, curious, I just wanted to, to uh, broadcast this info again. Mark McConnell's um, looks like half of Heart to Heart Real Estate. And um, the website is hearttoheartrealestate.com. You'll find the... Oh, email addresses, phone numbers, contact information. A um, little, little bit of information on here kind of help give you guys an idea of what they do. I like to switch gears a little bit right now um, because I'm always interested to talk to people about um, the real estate side of it. So uh, what's going on out there? Uh, listing, are you, are you working with more sellers or more buyers? It, well, probably more sellers, but it's kind of down the middle. Mo a lot of our sellers just turn into buyers because they're sure. not moving out of the area. So, right. you know, 50-50. All right. So what's the what's the scoop? Competitive market, seller's market, buyer's market? Yeah, I'd say, uh, yeah, it's competitive, and I would say it's kind of trending towards a seller's market. Um, yeah, I, I was actually, uh, I, I heard you guys this morning on the way here talking about interest rates, and, and actually, I, I, I hope I don't get asked to leave for saying this, but I would like to see interest rates go up just marginally to put a little downward pressure on prices because it's getting, it's starting to accelerate a little bit, which is not, you know, yeah. I mean, appreciation's good, but you don't want to see the, the tethers come off, you know? Yeah. Last week, um, I was talking with Dan here on the show and our pipeline and our company flip flopped a month ago. So I hear you. But I have bad news to report. Um, <laughs> over the last month, the pipeline of the company, I mean, it was 60% purchases and 40% refis. Right. And it is currently over 60% refis. Oh, I'm sure. And yeah. less than 40% purchase. Um, which is nice. I mean, you, part of you is just a bit of a hater on account of you don't get to get in on making money on the <laughs> refi part of it. Um, and, and I get that. It's okay. I, I won't fault you for it. Um, but no, I mean, message well received though, is you can only have so many um, years or months in a row where you keep pushing value up, 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 up. And I mean, there's a demand for sure. I mean, we know there's yeah. a lot of demand on real estate. These low rates keep that demand um, kind of front to center. If rates did go up a little bit, it might at least thin out the herd or change affordability a little bit yeah. um, and, and potentially soften rates. But ah, I'm not positive that it would even have that desired impact, at least not right away. Yeah. It would be short term, I think, because every time you see a rate move, there's definitely a short term change. Oh, sure. But like that client, you get pre-qualified because this happens. This uh, guy works at Diablo, comes in, okay, you know, I'm only going to get raises from here. So I want to buy like up, you know, what can I qualify for? All right, dude, you can qualify for a $3,500 a month payment. So swing for the fences, boss. Then rates correct and you see a quarter, half percent bump. That guy calls you back and say, hey, uh, good news, bad news. I mean... <laughs> 
bad news is with these new interest rates, you still qualify for 3500 bucks a month. Bad news is instead of a $600,000 house, now that's a $550,000 house. So, you know, get out there and find one. Um, it has a real effect of that of that purchasing power, right? It doesn't really change the monthly of what he could afford, but the, yeah. the I mean, that payment's a function of loan amount, interest rate, and term. So you move one of those and the other two are going to give. And when the rate goes up, what usually gives is that the what you can ultimately borrow. The purchase price, which definitely puts downward pressure on pricing. But I don't know. What I was talking about more is that knee-jerk reaction. Like every time we see a major rate drop, the phones ring off the hook. Sure. And it does. And when I say major, I mean it can be no more than an eighth. Pretty minor in reality. Um, but then it seems to stable off. But the other issue is the supply. I mean, there really just is not. We haven't been building enough over the last what eight to ten right. years. You know, and there's just not that supply of homes out there. So while the rate affects it, I think, and a lot of other things affect it, I believe that. The reason it always stays temporary is the supply is so doesn't seem to have the same amount of supplies as what we need. Yeah, and I think you're exactly right about that. And I, I've said this before on the show, but um, we're at a really unique position right now to where supply is in a little bit of an extra pinch. I'm going to argue um, if you bought a house three or four years ago and now you've you know, lucked into one hundred and fifty or two hundred thousand dollars worth of equity in some cases. One of the sweetest things about that deal for you is your tax rate is low. So, in this case where people have had that appreciation, they're not going to be eager to sell and go buy again and just have the tax, the monthly taxes pop by a couple hundred bucks a month for no other reason than moving. Um, to sort of compound that, if you bought a house three or four years ago, you might be one of those people that have the three and a quarter, 30 year fixed. Yeah. If you want to sell today, capture that 200 grand equity you have to go buy a new place, bummer is you're going to come out the other side with probably a three and three quarter, three and seven eighths interest rate. So that's going to cost you another couple hundred bucks a month, depending on your loan amount, plus your extra property taxes. So now you're now you're looking at being four or five hundred dollars a month uh, behind right out of the gate. And by the way, debt service on a hundred grand is about five hundred and fifty bucks. So all of a sudden it's like you got about a thousand dollars of sort of $100,000 of sort of damage to your position just because you went and transacted. And so um, there's going to be a lot of people that will weigh those things out and say, you know what, I'm going to, I'm going to stay put for the time being. If you find somebody that's willing to pop into the higher taxes and come up into the higher interest rate to make the move, the next thing that they've got to worry with is they got to sell their house and find a suitable replacement in a short amount of time in a market where there's very little inventory. Um, who wants to get rid of their house today and hope that they're going to be able to find the better, add a good deal in the place they want, all these terms? Um, there's, there's a bit of faith that goes into that. And so, again, the easy thing to do is just say, you know, I'm going to wait until there's more buying choices for me. And so then that person sidelines themselves. I feel like that compounded with the fact that we didn't build houses for seven years in a row. Um, and by the way, I, I love pointing this out on the show. Uh, when this recession started, 
Um, the the kids that were in high school, they're doctors today. <laughs> they made it through <laughs> high school and college and med school. And now they're they're making good money. Uh, no joke. I mean that do the math. The kids that had graduated high school in two thousand seven, they're they're nine years out of college right, or out of high school right now. They're a part of the workforce. They want to buy homes. So we didn't, bad news, we didn't build homes for them. Um, all of that competition pent up means that you've got prices that are just scooting towards the sky. And yeah. I don't know how you fix that. I'm not convinced that just increasing rates is going to improve that, um, mainly on account of um, that furthers that thing of now people don't want to sell and move within the community because they're oh now i gotta get now i gotta give up my three and a quarter i gotta get a six well you know <laughs> i always crack up at people's short short memories and this is you guys uh it, it affects you way more than me but you know when i bought my first house i think my interest rate was around eight and i was happy to get it right now uh, people will say four percent like you just right. punch their mom in the face i mean right. come on four percent come it, on it's pretty wild <laughs> punch yeah. their mom in the face <laughs> <laughs> rates are rates are very low i mean obviously they're historically low yeah this i think by the way you know we probably don't have much time to explore this but there's something here, okay? Um, if you take and start watching the economy from Carter forward, I mean, I don't care what went on before then, and I'm not talking politics right now, but just take interest rates. I mean, the guys that we replaced, um, uh, in what I mean, our, our predecessors in this industry, they refinanced and helped people buy and all the game from the... 70s and 80s where rates just went from 20% all the way up to current day down to four. So we've got like a whole couple generations now of people that have no idea what happens when you're in the trough of that trend and need to figure out how to work back up into keeping a stable GDP growth, consumer spending growth, creating jobs, all this stuff, we have to figure out as a country and an economy now how to nose through that for the next 20 or 30 years. I mean, I don't know. All, all we really seem to know for sure is that this this economy and country's done pretty good in a declining rate environment. It drove you know, values of all assets up. And now we're sort of looking around from the bottom of that going, what do we do now? Yeah. <laughs> um, I look at this and I worry that our country might be addicted to low interest rates and not know how to give that up. No, well, it's absolutely <laughs> really. true. But as far as percentage of income, even back to the 70s, the percentage of income that was spent on housing, whether you were buying at those higher interest rates or whether you were renting or whatever the case, is really not that different. The difference is... That money that you're spending is going to a different place and going to a different group of people. Like right now with the lower interest rate, more of it's going into the housing market and less of it's going to the banks. And prior, more of it went to the banks and less of it into the housing market. It's I read something that was it was relatively interesting and it just talked about, okay, the average person back in this date made this amount of money and they spent this much of their income on their housing. And at that time, that rate was considered or was in that number, that spending number that they had. And 
it's somewhat interesting because I feel like you're right. We, we're going to be addicted to the rates because that money at this point is not going to the financial institutions. It's not going well, no, to the Well, no, and do the math. If you if take one of these $500,000 houses and amortize that pup at 10% interest, mm-hmm. <laughs> dude, you're no way. Done. Nobody would buy that. But Nobody what was that could ha- afford that. What was that house worth in 1970 yeah, when they were paying 20% interest? 70 grand. Exactly. So, you know, and, and people made a whole lot less money. So it's going to be interesting because it's more, I think, of a change in how the pie is split, where those dollars are going, and, and less a change of affordability. But, you know, back to the supply issue, like you said, we haven't built houses. These kids are graduating, and that's going to put upward pressure for a long time. So I think you're going to get into a situation where the housing expenses are out of whack. Don't Don't skip a critical part here. I think... That's one of the things that makes this one of the golden ages of opportunity where add all that stuff up. Like, as you can imagine, I I like having that conversation. I get people in my office that say, well, I'm not going to be in a big rush because I I think real estate values are, you know, they're going to come down pretty quick here. Mm -hmm. Okay. Why? Well, you know, because they've been going up for a while. Why? Well, just a feeling. Okay, now let me tell you about where I'm sitting. And I'll cite those same things I just told you guys about, you know, taxes and interest rates and ability to find a suitable replacement and all these different things and make a pretty good case as to why unless the county here decides to add 15 or 20,000 new home units to the mix... I mean, look at the interest lists of each one of these new developments. Um, they throw it up. It's not like they, they're not sitting going, well, when we finally sell phase one, we're going to do phase two. I mean, they come out, phase one interest list is like 10 times longer than it needs to be. And then they sell through that quick. They can't build them fast enough. You know, it's a, where's the end of this? I don't know. However, the interest rate is still low. There's yeah. no reason right now to believe that values of real estate can go down. Um, and, you know, it's one of those things where then additionally, we live in paradise. So we keep attracting people yeah. that come here. They're like, you know, traveling. They sell out of whatever it is they had. And, you know, the three L.A. houses or the four yeah. Bakersfield houses or the whatever. They're showing up here in droves with cash to buy these houses and keep pushing these numbers. So yeah, I but- think, again, it's a great opportunity to buy. Um, and the good news is, yeah, it's a stretch for most people to be able to buy a house and slow. I mean, we got to agree that most, if you're working right now, if you're like the, whether you're single or a, a two income household or whatever, if you're working um, and buying a house here, it's a, it's a stretch. You got to make it a priority. It's going to take the lion's share of your income. And it's a, you know, the first comes quick every month as yes, you keep those balls in the air. Um, but, it, you know, I think it's one of those things where it, it's worth it, you know, mm-hmm. and I, I don't see it as a bad investment. Well, I'm not saying that it, nobody's saying it's a bad investment. I, I agree. But it is a little odd because generally or historically, like Mark was saying, when rates go up, prices go down. When rates go down, prices go up. And right now we have, like you're talking about, other issues that are pushing it, other things that are keep, keeping us in a situation where things are going up. And if you're looking at 
buying real estate as an investment, that's definitely a bit of a security blanket. Oh, and I didn't tell you guys about um, one other elephant in the room uh, with the value of real estate is um, construction costs are going rocketed. up. And, yeah, yeah. you know, with the new energy efficiency requirements and building codes, there's a lot going to just making building houses more expensive. Um, so that, too, is adding, by the way, to the cost of, you know, oh, absolutely. real estate going up. If you talk to any contractor, the first thing they're going to complain about is the cost of new construction. Well, you got, you know, just last year, there's like new taxes on a two by four and there's a new tax on a gallon of paint. I mean, it's a, there's, a, there's a lot going into it that keeps it pretty darn expensive. Well, you know, one thing on that, Jason, when you talked about is it a good investment, I think people need to really remember that, well, most people, they're taking out a 30 year loan. So, uh, People really need to think of it as a, you know, it's a 30-year investment. That people, I think the average is around seven years is when people will move on average. So that's fine. But all I'm saying is, like, it doesn't matter what the economy is doing or what your income is doing as long as you don't overbuy. If you buy a house you can afford, you just don't sell when it's in the tank. Right. And, and and then it comes back well, and, it, and it goes and past where it was. And that's the beauty of that 30-year loan, the 30-year plan. It's a fixed loan now. Right. So, you know, it, unless something happens where you b- become disabled or can't work or somehow, it's like the, the payment isn't going to hop or spike or kill you the way that it was for a lot of people, you know, 8, 10 years ago. So... All right, we got a phone call here. We we got Jack calling in from the North County. Uh, good morning. Welcome to Mortgage Matters. Uh, good morning. Uh, I'm wondering if you guys have any information about the um, groundwater basin that had the election and the relationship of that uh, groundwater situation with real estate in general uh, in the North County. You know, I'm going to have to defer to Mark. Well, you know what? I'm... I'm... I would say the only comment I have about that is that I haven't yet seen it have a negative impact on values. I mean, people are are somewhat concerned about different maybe areas where well water, uh, you know, has been a problem. But, uh, you know, I haven't seen it affect the market a whole lot as of yet. You know, I got to tell you, I, I've had people that come in to get a loan and they're looking to shop and, and they're getting prequaled. And there's definitely areas of like Paso Robles that uh, that certain people were just going to avoid. But, you know, I had a property out, you know, on the east side of Paso Robles. They tested my well and it was good. But I do think that there's certain certain areas and, and there's probably less and less people that maybe would go out and buy that one to two acre property or even a 10 acre property slightly out of town for concerns about the water. And Honestly, I feel that the water situation is going to affect how many properties they're going to be building. So it's, I think it's going to play a role, a big role, um, particularly up in the North County. I mean, I'm, I'm not as confident on the rest, but I think it's going to play a role in how many new properties are added to the inventory, which is going to keep increasing the values. And I don't know. I mean, my perspective may be a bit different, but I think that there's certain clients that I've had that won't go to certain areas. Um, and look at certain properties. Whether or not this rain this year is going to have an effect, I, I don't really know. Um, as far as the vote, yes or no, on the water basin, you know, I was in town at that time, and I know that there was a lot of people that felt passionately about both sides. Um, 
it was voted down pretty pretty strongly, um, which you know I I can get on a basic level. I, I it's my well. I'm pulling my water. Obviously, that can come from a wider area, but someone's going to come in and meter me. That that to me, I kind of had a hard time with, I, and I don't know enough to speak. In the bigger sense of that direct impact or result of this on property values or the marketplace, I think it's similar to like what's been going on in Los Osos for 40 years with the sewer. Um, it's not new. People that are transacting business in the North County right now know that there's issue over, you know, the contest for water and these potential boards that want to come in and taxes that need to be established to fund and all these kind of things. And you know that that's part of it. Um, so is some of that already built in? I mean, you got to know that there, that's weighing on people's decision in the marketability. Um, when you sold your house, so you recently sold your house and then bought a house that's now on city water, right? Yes. Was that at least part of the motivation why you sold your house? Honestly, it was um, a consideration. Yeah. And, and in doing so, when you got the offer that your buyer, when they wanted to buy the house, one of the things, I mean, I would only assume naturally you weighed out of like, well, I, this... I should probably give this a little bit, you know, of consideration because it's my ticket out of the, the well headache circle. Um, so somehow or other that factored into the marketability of your house and your willingness to sell also in their willingness to buy, they might be thinking they got a great deal because they played off of your fear. Who knows? Gotcha. Does you that know? answer your question, Jack? I don't uh, think sure did. Thank you. Oh, thank you. Thanks we appreciate call, you Jack. calling in. Yeah. I, it's one of those things where I think the market sort of that, that's a foot in it anyway already. <clears throat> People have known that for years now. We've had this issue, and um, yeah, but knowing it's different than driving. I mean, if you take a drive around North County, there's there's big signs about water districts. There's there was things about uh, wells, and I mean, it's been going on even before this came to a vote. You know, there's there's definitely a little bit of a. I don't know confrontation going on. Yeah, your your Los Osos example was a perfect one, and that what the effect that had in properties is people would just kind of build it in. You just figure if they're gonna if it's gonna cost you fifteen thousand dollars for a new lateral, yeah. that's what that's the concession that you're gonna make when you sell your property. And, and for a good long absolutely. time, it was a safe bet to say, man, these guys can't get anything together. It's probably not even <laughs> worth worrying about. Yeah, After right. They dug that giant just, hole and abandoned oh, it. just back and forth tug. <laughs> war and all the the boards and the lawsuits and the eh, eh. yeah you know what though i mean if if we want to get a guest I, i've got a couple people that are uh that paid a lot of attention i that's a day. fine idea and i'd have to say i mean i didn't follow it all too closely each time because i just i end up in the spot too where i'm just like yeah people are stupid and I just get frustrated with it. Like lately, for example, um, each of the water districts around our county and around our state are all suffering a, a, a similar problem right now. Is their budget was based on the income and the water of, that they were selling with a pretty a pretty dependable um, basis of sales, right? Source of revenue, yeah. Yeah. And then the drought hit. Everybody said, okay, you know, you got to do what you can, got to conserve, got to cut down. Brown is the new green. Do what you can do. 35% reduction or whatever it should be. So the people did their part. We answered, 
cut our consumption, let our lawns die, you know, did everything we were supposed to do to reduce that drain on the water supply. And now the water companies are coming back on, okay, unintended consequence of that, our overhead hasn't changed. The infrastructure is still there. The billing personnel is still there. All of these things that go into treating and giving you guys quality potable water, those bills are all the same. What's changed now is the revenue because we're selling 30% less water. So guess what? We need to raise the price of the water. And the people just go, oh, my God, stomping around the yard, throwing fits like a bunch of little babies. Well, guess what? That's real business, you guys. That's the the revenue declined because of a, a drop in consumption that was mandatory because we all need water to live in California. That's arguably an arid desert. Thank you for conserving. In order to keep the water coming, you're going to have to pay a little bit more to get another gallon of water. And I got to hear more and more people whine and complain about it. I'm like, I just, I'm tired of hearing people complain about the water. This thing that happened, you know, as a vote in to make a tax, like you said, you're going to come regulate. I'm going to pay you now to come step in and tell me what I can and can't do with the well on my property. I get that one, be that your argument or whatever. Um, Tell me how awesome your property is when we're all out of water together because everybody hemmed and hawed about wanting to come up with a basin management plan. Um, so I just, like I said, I, my house is on city water. Um, the Tasket Arrows jacking up the cost of water to us. My bill's going to go up. I'm fine with it. Um, I don't have a big concern that they're wasteful and just increasing the cost to me because of their bureaucratic waste in the Atascadero Mutual Water Company. I don't feel that way at all. Again, I'm happy to have some water. I understand it's a decline in revenue and I got to pay my fair share of that. Um, I, I, I get, I get rubbed. You could tell I get rubbed out a little bit on the water thing. I'm like, come on people. Yeah. You know, but it is a complicated scenario. And even if by the way, that's why I'm not on any of those advisory boards or committees that are making those decisions. Uh, because you can't. <laughs> I just be have strong clear. opinions that I just can't. Uh, no, I got you, and it's undoubtedly you know a complicated scenario. But at a certain point, you got to feel that whatever side of that argument you're on, that they've got to gather information. They've got to know what's coming sure. out from certain places, and and the wells are definitely a, a black hole of we have no idea. We have no idea how much water is being pulled out of those things. Well, you know what? I, I read this last week. I saw some clipping in the paper about um, those deep water wells mm -hmm. are contaminating now some of the um, wells above them. They're pulling contaminants from below. Yeah, and I, I, I kind of, I mean, I don't know enough about wells and stuff. I'll admit that right away. But I, it tripped me out. Like, why are deep water, why are the, why is the deep water have more contamination than the higher water? If anything, it seems like it percolated longer and filtered more. So I just, you know, okay. So my eyes were open to the fact that some of those deep wells are contaminated, and that pumping them is allowing them to sort of infiltrate some of the the wells that are higher above them. Um, and so I, I kind of pulled out of there and go, oh, what a mess. What are yeah. we going to do about this? You I, know, I don't even know enough to understand that because it seems like there wouldn't be seepage from a sealed pipe pulling it up. But obviously, if they're drilling, there there has to be something. But yeah, I mean, I don't know. We we sh we could fill a whole two hours. Let's do that. Let's work on that. We um, could fill a two hour conversation with. We're that. getting to uh, the end of the show here, and so um, I, I wanted again circle back uh, with Mark. Uh, thanks so much for. joining 
joining us today. It's my pleasure to meet you. I know you guys have a great working relationship, and Will's told me great things about you, but uh, I've really enjoyed having you on today. Um, I want to tell people, if, if you like what you heard today, um, you like the message, the the guy comes from the heart. In fact, his company's called Heart to Heart Real Estate. Um, they have a, a real desire to give back and make a difference. And um, so I, I just want to say thanks, man. I think it's awesome. Great Thank cause. Um, and if there's anything worth uh, getting behind the marketing of, I can get behind that. I mean, you guys are doing a great thing. So check them out. The web address is hearttoheartrealestate.com. Mark, if anybody wants to reach you, uh, what's the best way to get a hold of you? So through our website, our emails are all on there. Uh, my phone number is 674 Liz's is 464-1007, both in the 805. And uh, I want to thank you guys again both for uh, inviting us and, and getting the word out. Uh, actually, uh, this Tuesday, we're going to write our single biggest check since we've been in business for uh, a little over $23,000. Wow. It's going to go to Must Charities. Sweet. Very good. That's awesome, man. Yeah, and I would say even if you have a charity, you, charities can contact Oh, absolutely, you, right? yeah. It, no, if you have a charity or are involved with a nonprofit that's struggling, as most of them are, give us a call, and you know we actually have some tools that will help you uh, raise money in a completely, pretty much effortless way. Yes, cool. absolutely. Um, Will, thank you much for being here today. I know it's not your regular gig, and your uh, Saturdays are valuable, so I really appreciate you helping give Dan a day off. Um, if you guys need loan help, Will's a, a great um, option for you. This guy's been in the business a long time, super honest, uh, really ethical. And I, one of those guys, I mean, I, this is true with the people. This is one of the tests to work at Central Coast Lending, but um, won't do a deal that doesn't make sense for you. Won't do a deal that you don't understand. Won't do a deal that you can't wrap your head around and, and participate in the decision on. So if you want that help, call 543-LOAN, 543-5626. We'd love to hear from you guys this week at the office. Reach out to us, centralcoastlending.com. Thanks again, Mark. Thanks again, Will. Uh, We'll be back next week with another live episode of Mortgage Matters, and we'll uh, hope to find you guys here. Have a great week.